having you here today. Man, this is the second week of spring break, and we're feeling it. So what that means is you have to preach back at me like two or three times as strong. Is that okay? All right. You guys are wild. I love that about y'all. I want to have you turn your Bibles to Jonah, because it'll take you a bit to find it, okay? So go to Matthew, work your way backwards a few chapters, and we're going to be looking at Jonah today as we continue our comeback series. This is the third week in the series, and over the last few weeks, we've been looking about what happens when we need a comeback, and different things, like the first week we looked at Easter, and we looked at the comeback of Christ, and we looked at how His comeback can speak to us about a comeback, and how when things aren't quite like they seem in our lives, hold on. God can turn things around. And then last week we started looking about what does it look like to come back from your dreams, like when you've lost a dream. And so we looked at that last week, and I would say last week out of all the sermons I've preached in a long, long time, I just feel like God used that one really powerfully. And I hate that it was on a spring break week when so many were gone. When it came time for people to respond, if you need prayer, that kind of thing, I've, I have not had a service in I don't know how long. That, that many people raised their hands, that it was an area where they felt like they had lost their dreams and that God was coming to restore their hearts. Just people all over the room. And so if you missed last week, I, I would I would ask you, I don't normally do that, but I want to ask you, go back and listen to that podcast. I just really feel like God had a word for our people last Sunday through that. This week what we're looking at is what happens when you need to come back from losing your purpose, losing your purpose. And, and the thing about that, when I say purpose, it's good that God has a plan over our lives. Amen? And, and many of us in this room, you feel like you're pursuing His purpose and His plan. And for me, when I think of His purpose, I think of it this way. It's His best for us. It's His best not just for us, but it'll be His best through us. Because when we're operating in the purpose of God, it's not only for us, but God uses it to touch other people's lives too. Even just in your home. You walk after the purpose, plan, and pursuit of God, guess what? Your family will feel it. Amen? It's, it's one of those things where God has his best for us, and I believe he wants to partner with that. But here's the thing. We can talk about purpose, and so we can define it a whole lot of ways. But for me, what it really is is this. God has a call on our life. He has this purpose for our existence. But the greatest purpose we have is this, to heed the word of the Lord. Period. Is that it? To heed God's word. Period. And many of us, when it comes to purpose, we do. We'll think about, God, show me your plan. Have you prayed this prayer before? I know I have. Show me your plan for my life, Jesus. Show me what you want me to be. A veterinarian? Uh, you know, nobody's ever like, God, show me. Do you want me to be an accountant, Lord? You know what, though? That's awesome. We need good accountants that serve Jesus, amen? We need good veterinarians. My greatest mentor in life was a plumber. We need good, spirit-filled, God-loving plumbers, amen? But when it comes time to it, we're looking for God, show us your revealed, show us this, this revelation of what you want us to do and who you want us to be. And the problem with it is, so often, we won't heed what is here in his revealed Lord, word of God. We want this, this God word over our lives, but he's given us 66 chapters of God words over our lives. Come on, somebody. And so today what we're looking at is that idea that God wants us to heed his word. 
And, and, and I have wrestled with this. I did. Because God, I want to preach a sermon where I'm talking about setbacks. And you've lost your purpose. And God's going to give you your purpose back. Shout somebody, amen. You know, one of those kinds of deals. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and as I'm preparing and I'm reading the scripture, I'm going, you know what, God? Sometimes our setbacks are because of our shortcomings. Oh, I hate that. God, sometimes the things that are holding me back is the sin in my life. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to preach that. I want to preach happy stuff. But I felt like the Lord was really impressing that as Christ followers, all right, sometimes we need to hear what it means to follow his word as Christ followers. Come on. And that can be hard, that can be difficult, that puts pressure to bear on my heart, because I can't do it alone, I need His Spirit to empower, guess what, His Spirit will, amen. And so I want to look at a passage of Scripture, and this is Jonah's story, and we're going to see how God had a word over Jonah's life, and how he pushed away from that word, and we're going to see the price Jonah paid for pushing away from that word, and we're going to see what it takes for us to be able to get to a place where we heed God's word, and we see the fruit of God's word show up in our lives. How many wants the fruit of God's word to show up in your life? Oh yeah, I, I need you three times louder, come on, how many? There, there you go, there you go, now you got it, you got it. <laughs> so let's stand to our feet like we always do as we honor God's word. And let's read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to go down to verse 6. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish. Tar That's a horrible name, dude. Everybody just go, Tarshish. It sounds like you're not saying it right, and I'm saying it just like it's spelled. You know what I mean? Tar Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought, your God will give a thought to us that we will or we may not perish. Let's pray. Father God, I ask right now that you would just touch our hearts today. God, this is one of those words, it's a strong word. But God, we're strong people. God, it's a, a poignant word, God. But we're people ready to, to take that next step in the things of you. And so, Lord, we open our hearts and our arms uh, readily to receive your word. Touch us, convict us, stir us. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have your seats. As you sit down here in John chapter, or Jonah chapter 1, in the first verse, we see it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. We can stop right there. The word of the Lord came. That's a great place to start. Man, just the idea that God would speak to you, that God would lead you, that God would direct your life. Isn't that an awesome thing? That God would come and speak. And there's a, a theme, if you haven't noticed, that has kind of weaved itself into this series, starting on Easter. And the theme is really around the Word. And I didn't even notice this until this week as I was looking. I'm like, God, you're really interweaving a theme through all this. In that day on Easter, we said, when all things seems lost, listen to the voice of Jesus. When everything seems lost, seems like you've lost it all, listen to for the voice of Jesus. What are we listening for? His word, right? 
listening for his voice, his word. Last week we started to look in the idea of Joseph and how Joseph lost his dreams. And we said what the Father has spoken over you means everything. That there's circumstances and there's stuff that you face. There's all these things around you, but God has a word over your life and it means everything. And last week we saw how a lot of times you miss your dream, you miss that and you need to come back because of circumstances. No fault of your own. Things happen. I, so sad for Tom. You all know Tom that plays drums. All right. Tom that plays drums this week, he fell off a ladder while he was painting his mama's house and he broke his hand. In this last service, second service, he waved his mitt at us, you know. It's all bandaged up. He broke his hand. And, and, and that's horrible to be a drummer and not be able to drum, right? It's worse when you're a painter. That's what he makes, does for a living. And you can't paint, you know. So pray for him. as he's, He says he's fairly ambidextrous, you know. But that's just a circumstance that has happened, that he's losing his way right now because of a circumstance. There's other times that people stand in your way. And it's their sin, it's their fault that you're missing at times what you feel you should be walking in. I get that. That was last week. But this week I want to talk a little bit about God's word over our lives. Because sometimes God's word comes to our lives and tells us something and we don't want to listen to it. And that's the story we see with Jonah. God comes and has a word, but he is rebelling against the word of God in his life. And it's causing all sorts of situations to arise within his life, you know. And so God's word over our life, he has this word that comes, and God wants us to be able to walk in that, but there's things that set us back, I'm calling them shortcomings, the Bible would call it sins, that set us back that often we'll miss God's best in that moment, because we hold on to what we want over what God wants. But God has a beautiful invitation. Watch this. The first thing, Jonah chapter 1, it says here um, that, that now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Arise. Shout arise. arise. Man, y'all are in it to win it. Come on. That scared me actually a little bit. So when it comes down to arise, God's word will cause you to rise up. It's always God's intention to take us higher. It's always God's intention to cause us to rise above just societal norms. It's always God's intention for us to rise as his people. It's his, his heart. Now, obviously, in this scripture, it's saying that God is calling Jonah to rise up and to go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. It's a city full of evil, a city that needs repentance. And God is speaking to Jonah, saying, arise. And go to that city and preach. But everything within Jonah, he does not want to do or heed that word from the Lord. And so here's the thing, though. Now, there's two things when you preach. There's exegesis. That's where you read things out of Scripture. And there's eisegesis. That's where you read things into Scripture. You want to do more exegesis than eisegesis, right? All right? If you don't do enough, you won't see Jesus. Exegesis. You see what I'm saying? And if you just preach about yourself, you know what that's called? Narcegesis. I'm serious, there's a lot of narcissistic creatures out there. Okay, I'm not going to go there. So, when it comes down to it, God's word will cause you to rise up. Now, I'm kind of reading that into it because God says, arise. 
and go to Nineveh. I don't know what it is for you, but I believe God says arise to you. And it may be arise and go make a better decision when it comes to your relationship and make it God-honoring. Or arise and go financially make better decisions in this area of finances. Or arise and some of the things that you struggle with, set those things aside. Like, like for me, I'll give you one. Arise and go eat better, Pastor Ross. Nope. Well, you don't have to go, come on now, Marvin. I'll that's not nice of you. <laughs> but it's truth, you know. And, and here's the thing. For you, you go, Ross, I mean, that's not sin. No, I know it's not sin for you. It's not, okay. It's not sin for you, this food thing that I'm dealing with. It's not sin for you. It's sin for me, all right. And years ago, I loved to hunt. I loved to squirrel and rabbit hunt. I'm serious. There's something about just taking the life of small game. <laughs> hold on, hold on. And bringing it to the table of your family to eat. As your wife screams at you, why are you doing this? We can go to a store, you know. And, um, and, um, and now I don't. Just cats. That's the only thing. No, no. I love cats. They're delicious. So. But, but the, thing, the thing I'm getting at is for me, I was in Bible college, and I was full-time as a pastor, full-time as a student, and had a couple children. And with it... There's no way, I, I was spending 8 to 12 hours a week in the woods hunting game, you know, and just loved it. And, and, and God laid in my heart that you should not be hunting during this season. So for the next three years of school, I didn't hunt. What, is hunting a sin? No. God said to subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish, you know, you know that, and the game of the earth. So no, it's not a sin. But for me, during that season, it would have been a sin. Because God had impressed. Now, was that his revealed word in Scripture? No. But that was his spoken word in my heart. And so with that, I was being obedient. Right now, for me, it may not be uh, something biblical that you see there. But for me, it's a rise and go eat right, you know. That's what, it, that's what the word is over my life, okay. And that's an area that I'm doing well. There's some weeks I'm struggling, you know. I'm about 35 pounds down, but I've been that for about three or four weeks. It's, it's not worth No, 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 stop. It's not worth it. Because... <laughs> Because I'm not, because it's been about three or four weeks, I've been stuck, you know. It's been stuck. It's the guy I'm supposed to go to the gym with. All right, so it's time to get rolling again. So I'm just saying, I know when I point my finger, there's a few fingers being pointed back at me. But the word is to arise, to arise. God's word will cause you to rise up. But there's things I want. To where it's like, I want what I want. And there's things that you want. And you know it's outside of God's plan, but you want what you want, right? The problem is, the scriptures will show us things like this. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. Now watch this. This is what I want. But here's what God says in Isaiah 55. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and they do not return there, but water the earth, and they make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. In other words, I'm the God that started this process where there is seed and harvest, sowing and reaping. I'm the God that started this process, and watch what I'll do. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and it shall not return to me void. Isn't that awesome? But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I send it. God has a word like he did for Noah. And he said, arise and go. God wanted to bring repentance to that city. He had a word, a plan, a purpose for that city. And he invites Jonah in to partner to see that accomplished. 
And I don't believe that just Nineveh would be blessed. God knew there was a hundred preachers he could have got to go preach. He wanted Jonah because there was something in Jonah that needed worked out. There was something in Jonah that his ways weren't like God's ways. And his thoughts weren't like God's thoughts. And so God was putting a demand on him. God was pressing on him. And Jonah was getting mad. Today I will preach and God will put a pressure on you, some of you, and you will get mad. Don't be like Jonah, all right? Don't run. Embrace it as God's saying, I got a plan for you, and my ways are higher, and my thoughts are higher. And here's the thing about it. When we go after our own plans, our own pursuits, you know there's no promise given over our plans. There's no promise given over our pursuits, over our passions, over our desires. There's not a promise. But here we see that God's word, it will not return void. It will accomplish what God sends his word to do. In other words, there's a promise over living this word. Come on. God blesses when we choose to live this word. But I don't want to, God. I want to do what I want to do. And that was Jonah. And Jonah had all the reasons. He looked at the Assyrians. That's the city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And he looks at the Assyrians. They were one of the most atrocious powerhouses the world had ever known up to that period. And he looks at them and he's just like, how could God ever bless these people? And he was prejudiced and he was full of hatred. And frankly, as we look at this story today, you'll see that he didn't give a flying flip about those people. Yet God says, arise, go to Nineveh. Why would God even choose a man? Why would God preach a sermon to a guy whose heart is so far from him? Because God loved Jonah. And God was wanting to work something out of Jonah's life. God had a better plan, you know. And God has the best plan for you. And it's linked up intrinsically with his word in our lives. His best plan is linked to his word. And he will say, arise. But Jonah, he hated the, even the thought of going to Nineveh. So here's the thing, he's in Joppa, he hears this word from the Lord, Joppa is about 500 miles west of Nineveh, Nineveh is about 500 miles east, it's just a little east of the Tigris River in modern day Iraq, and <coughs> Jonah, he travels to Tarshish, he travels that far away, 2,500 miles away from Nineveh, he's trying to go as far as he can from God's God's plan. And that's where the rub is. God wants to bless. God wants us to walk in his word and see the provision of his word. But our nature at times, we want what we want. Am I alone in that? No, no, I'm not. Most of us in this room, that's how it is. And so the second part of this here is, is when it comes down to it, we see that God's word wants to cause us to rise up. It's always good that God wants us to draw us into something better, our best that he has for us. But number two, when we reject God's word, we push away from his presence. When we reject his word, we push away from his presence. Watch what it says in Jonah 1 verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do you see that? He arose and he fled from the presence of the Lord. And you'll say, but, but, but pastor, you can't get away from God's presence. And you are absolutely right. You can't. His presence is all-encompassing. It's all around. Amen? But you sure can get away from the benefit of his presence. I'll give you an example. Amy and I, um, she hates that I like Facebook and 
texting and, and those kinds of things. So we have digitally dark days, digitally dark nights, things to where we put away the electronics. That's a good thing, amen? And so with that, though, Amy, if, if I'm not careful, she could be in the room. Her presence is there. But I can be very much engaged completely somewhere else. My mind's somewhere else. My connections are somewhere else. My relationship is somewhere else. My, 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 my thoughts, my passion, everything that I'm doing is somewhere else. I've got to get this words of games figured out. I've got to, you know, whatever it might be. And she's there. Is she there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the benefit of her presence, I'm far from. I've got to put that away. My plans, my desires, my wishes, my connection. God, I want your presence, just like my wife. How would that relationship be? She's there. She never, she's right there. But her presence isn't being appreciated. It's not being connected with. I'm not receiving from her and vice versa, right? And so here we see that Jonah, he had fled from the presence of the Lord. The problem with that in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. He's speaking of God, showing this best plan, his purpose, his pursuit for our lives. You make known this incredible path, God. You make it known to me. It's wonderful. And then it says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Say fullness. Fullness of joy. At your right hand there's pleasures forevermore. It's in the presence of God that there is fullness. And I don't think it stops with just joy. If you lack serenity in the presence of God, there's fullness of peace. If, if you lack, you know, strength and you're weak in the presence of God, there's fullness of power. You know, whatever it might be, in his presence, there is fullness. Doesn't it make sense that the enemy of our heart would love to rob us from engaging in the presence of God to the degree that God desires for us? Wouldn't he want us to be disengaged, disconnected? Oh, yeah, def Definitely. And the way the enemy works with us in disengagement is he causes our passions, our desires, our decisions to rise up to where we say, God, I know what you want, but I don't care. I want to do what I want to do. Does that make sense? God, I know this would be better for my wife and our relationship, but I want to do what I want to do. Man, the benefit, the mutual benefit is going to be lost there. It just is, you know. And so here's the thing about it. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He found a ship. Listen, when you are looking to sin, there's always a ship ready to take you. Isn't that the truth? Man, I'm telling you, I'm trying my best to eat right. And there is food from all languages and nationalities calling out to my name. Hola, Pastor Ross. Venga aquí. Por favor, yo tenemos un burrito para ti. You know, something to that effect. You know, I, have a, I have a burrito for you. Come on, venga aquí, por favor, you know. And man, yo quiero ahorita, I, yeah, I want it right now, that burrito, you know. And then other, other you know, French pastries. Woo -woo, you know, I don't even know how to say anything in France. In France, in French. I don't know how to say dang thing in France, you know. But no, I just, <laughs> ah, that's funny. All I'm saying is that ship comes so easily to pull us away. You know, it may be that a relationship, a marital relationship, is, is a little bit on the rocks, you know. Man, that ship of lust is so easy, man. It just comes along, and that, that ship named Sally at work, she just looks so sweet. And she comes into port, you know. Come on. 
I don't know what it might be. I'm just saying the ship of sin, it comes so easily to take us. And sin is easy. It is. And you know what sin also is? It's not easy. Sin is awesome. I'm just being honest. Some of the best times I ever had in my life was when I was sinning. You look at me like, are you kidding? I'm just being honest. For a season. For a short while. And then it has its price. For a short while. And then it takes more than I want to give. For a short while. Right? And so here we see him. He's running away from God's word. His best that God wants to give him. And he's running away from it so quickly to a ship that's easy to sell off in. You know? And when it comes to our lives, I don't know what your sin might be. For me, extreme struggles with self-control in food. But listen, I'm just going to be honest because you may go, oh, that's easy. No, no. If I don't control my lusts in food, my lust in other areas rises. Can I just be real honest with you? If I don't have self-control in food, I don't have self-control when it comes to taking care of my house to the degree that my wife likes me to take care of my house. Does that make sense? Th that fruit of the spirit of self-control, it gets into other areas. And when I lack self-control in one area, I find myself starting to struggle in other areas. That's probably more open with you than I wanted to be. That's the benefit of you being in third service, okay? All right? So, um, so basically, if I'm not eating right, I want to choke my wife out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. No, that, that was wrong. Ronnie, that was wrong. I'm sorry. So, all right. But here's the thing. There is something. I just want to throw out one. And this is a hard one to deal with, but it's such, such a common thing in our country right now. And it's not so much as just common in the country. It's common in the church. And I want to throw this out there. And I want you to understand this is coming from a sense of God's love to show his best. This is not something for you to get con con condemned over. This is something for you to feel conviction, to rise up to that word, because God has a plan for you. But in our country, there's an overcorrection to divorce in our country. And what that overcorrection is when it comes to divorce in our country is we're going to feel this relationship out for a season first before we get married. And I understand when it comes to the world, when it comes to those who would not call themselves Christians or church people or whatever, I get it. I think they're trying to be socially responsible. Can I be honest with you? I think it's like, look, we saw our mamas, we saw our grandparents, people get divorced. We're going to be socially responsible and figure this out beforehand. And if it's not a fit, we'll go our separate ways, no big deal. But when it comes to the church, it's a different thing. Because when it comes to the church, you're a Christ follower. You're somebody that wants to follow Jesus. So it's not just trying to be socially responsible in your own wisdom. It's literally going, God, I know what your word says. But I have a better plan. Does that make sense? I have a better way. But God says, my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And it's tough to walk out the word of God. It's not easy at all to walk out the word. So with that being said, there's a price to pay when we don't walk out the word of God. And statistically, here's the price. 33% increase in divorce rate for those who live together prior to marriage. Can you believe that? A 33%. So whatever the rate is, you know, some will say as high as 50%. I don't believe that. I don't believe that 50% of the marriages I know have ended in divorce. I think that rate is actually a little bit high. It's definitely high in the church. I've been pastoring 24 years. I guarantee you 50% of my church couples have not divorced. That's probably a good thing to be in church, amen? I never thought of that until right now. Hey, now I'm back on. That makes sense, you know. Be in church, you probably won't get divorced. I'm going to church next Sunday, I'm telling you right now. 
So, but when it comes down to it, whatever that divorce rate is, the percentage is 33% higher, you know. And, and that's a statistic I came up on about, I don't know, about 15 years ago when I was in Bible school. And it still holds true. I checked it this week. It's still 33% higher of the national divorce rate. And so when I was in college, I wrote a paper on it because I was like, God, why is that, you know. I mean, I understand the idea of, well, we're breaking spiritual law. I get that. But God helped me to understand some other things. I, I'm a pragmatic kind of person. And so here's what came to my mind. Marriage is a lifestyle of concession. It's a lifestyle of saying, God, or saying, Amy, I want your will to be above my will, and I'm going to set my will aside, and I'm going to try to watch out for your will first. And then Amy says, Ross, I'm going to set my will aside, and I'm going to try to watch out for your will first. That's pretty cool, right? And so when two people are doing that, it creates this strong bond of, of mutual submission that can't be broken, can't easily be broken. So what happens when we say, God, I know what your word says, but like Jonah, I'm going to go the opposite way. What happens, we say, God, I know what your will is, I don't care. God, I know what your will is, but my decision, my passion, my desires, my finances, everything, it's easier to do this. The ship is here, it's in harbor, it's I want to ride that ship because it just makes sense right now in my life. And, and, and I don't feel that you're an evil person. I don't feel that you're, I just think it's a heart going, God, I think I know best here. And I know, and we'll, what we'll say is, God, he understands, you know. But here's the scary thing. There is no promise over our lives when we do our own will. Can I say that one more time? There's no promise over us when we say, God, I'm going to do what I want to do. The promise is that the word of God will not return void. The promise is God's word will accomplish that which it's sent to do. And so when God's word says this is the way we should live, then we say, God, I submit myself to your word. Does that make sense? And that's where that fullness of joy comes, etc. And so what happens in a marriage is if I've treated God that way for so long, okay, and for two or three years of dating, four years, whatever it is that, that we're living together, when it comes to the point of marriage, You'll go through the season of honeymoon, you go through all the fun stuff, and then after a while, you'll go back to saying, you know what, it's my will, it's more important. And you've trained yourself for years to live that out. Does that make sense? For years, my will is more important than God's. And so now, my will is more important than Amy's, and what I want is more important. Wouldn't it be better on this side of matrimony to train yourself to go, this is the hardest thing in my life, is to live up to your word, God, but I'm choosing to submit my will to you. Does that make sense? And it trains who you are to live a lifestyle of concession to where God, your will's always first and mine's always second. Amy, your will's always first and mine's always second. Does that make sense? And so there's a very pragmatic reason. But here's the thing. Let's forget about the whole idea of premarital cohabitation. What area of sin do you struggle in? Whether it's self-control, whether it's greed, whether it's lust, whether it's pride. You know, there's no sin greater than another sin. What, what area do you struggle in, you know? Because when it comes down to it, God, I want your word to be more important than my desires, my ease of living, my choices. And what happens is, often, as Christians, we make excuses for sin. And can I just say it this way? Hopefully this will be in your head. You know, God will use this to just stir up in your mind at different times. When you excuse sin, you lose to sin. And as Christians, as church people, we hate that. You know, Pastor Ross, just preach about the comeback. Just preach about it good, you know, something fun. 
Well, when we excuse sin, we lose the sin. So some of us in the room are in need of a comeback, and frankly, it's not because of circumstances, and it's not because somebody did you wrong. Some of us in the room are in need of a comeback because of sin in our lives. I told you guys, the sin in my life all those years was I was a, a self-entitled um, 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 punk, you know, feeling as if I deserved all this stuff. And why isn't it coming? And there's pride in that, and there's arrogance in that, there's a whole lot of sin that God dealt with me through those years with, and I'm still coming through that. And then there's other people in this room today that you're on your way to a setback because of sin in your life. And my job as your pastor, as a shepherd of the church, is to help fend off the wolves that come, that want to destroy. And I love you enough to say, whatever that sin is, Man, let God's word have his work in your life. Amen? That's hard. It's hard. But it's so good. And so, if that's the case, if some of our setbacks in this room are, are because of sin, and if some of us are set up right now for a setback because we're embracing sin fully, what is that? What is sin? Sin in the Greek is the word hamartia. Hamartia. And what it means, it means to miss the mark. It doesn't mean you're an this evil reprobate. We're all evil reprobates without Jesus. Amen? Remember me saying that before? It's like, it's like when it comes down to it, why does bad things happen to good people? Because none of us are good. Okay? Without Jesus. And so we're all sinners apart from Christ, right? So that all sin is is missing the mark. And it's an actual archery term, this idea of hamartia. And so it's the idea that there's a bullseye. There's God's best. There's his word that is full of promise and potential. And we choose, and we miss the mark. And when we miss the mark, God's so beautiful, he tells us to align ourselves back up. To align ourselves up with, with God's word. And so we need to realign ourselves with the word of God over our lives. God will give us another chance. Jonah, chapter 3, watch this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Say second time. Some of you guys, this might be the second time you felt this kind of conviction. It may be the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, I don't know. But God is good. And he's always saying, align yourself with the target. Align yourself with my word. And he gives Jonah this invitation. And he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in its breadth. It's huge. It's, giant, it's probably about 36 miles apart. Across three days, about twelve miles each day, uh, the way they would look at that, and so about that's a big. It's like Los Angeles or something. It's a gigantic city full of people that needed God. And Jonah began to go to the city a day's journey. He calls out, "Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the rest, from the greatest of them to the least of them. In this, you see a, a city repentant. But Jonah couldn't have any joy in that either. Why? Because Jonah's heart was far from God's heart. Remember what I said? When it comes down to it, this idea that we'll push away from God's presence. Here's the bad thing. Not only do we push away from God's presence, when we push away from God's presence, we push away from God's heart. Those things that God's passionate about. Those things that God desires, that God loves. And so Jonah's heart was far from God. Oh, he was going through the motions. He was going through, I mean, he was, it'd be like, hey, I'm going to church, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm trying, you know. But because we keep pushing away from his presence and his purpose and his plans, our heart starts to become more and more distant from his passions. 
And so we see Jonah, man, chasing his passions and his heart. And even though he went and he preached, and you know the whole story of how he preached, the whole whale, the whole bit, you know. But when it comes down to it, he was reluctantly following the will of God. How, how do you know that, Ross? Well, John or Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Watch this. This whole city comes to faith in God. And watch. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. Why is he displeased that the Ninevites are turning their hearts toward God? Why? He says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. He's like, I didn't want to go because I knew you would touch those people's lives. That's how strong the hatred I have in me is. That's how strong my prejudice is. And I knew you would do a work in them, and so I didn't want to go. And now look what you're doing. You're having your will, God. God will accomplish what his will is. But will he accomplish it in and through you? And while he's accomplishing it in and through you, will you be blessed? Will you walk in God's best? Jonah, at his heart, he is pushed away from God's presence to the point where even though he's going through the motions, his heart is very far from the heart of God. You know what's strange about this whole story? Let's stand to our feet. What's strange is that the one who should know the grace of God wouldn't walk in it. God is trying to get Jonah to walk in his grace. And he just keeps pushing it away. The people that deserve nothing, these people that committed atrocities, these people, man, they're just wide open, repentant, and receiving the grace of God in that moment. They just want all that God has. And so when it comes down to us, I see this as, will we be like the Ninevites who are repentant? Or like Jonah who, who never really softened his heart? At least not in this passage that we see. Some historians say that he did. But in this passage, you don't see that he ever really softens his heart. And so what the fix is, it's repentance. It's repentance. <clears throat> Some in this room are in need of a comeback because of sin in your life. And there needs to be repentance toward those things. Some of you right now, you're on your way to a setback. You're not there yet. But sin is starting to creep in. That ship has come and it's so easy to get on board. And those setbacks are there. And you need to repent. Remember I said sin is to miss the mark. So often I think in our Christian lives... We just look willy-nilly at sin. You know, it's not that big a deal. God understands. And we just, we just, we don't care. We just sin, 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 sin. God wants us to be repentant. God, help me align myself with your heart that I might hit the target, the purpose, the pursuit that you have me on, the plan, your word that is packed with the promise that it will not return void. Help, help me, God. Not just to get focused in on you and your plan for my life. I want to challenge you to come back to the center of the target of your life. To come back to the Word of God and aim for that. Amen? Listen, no condemnation. Shout that. Say, no condemnation. Amen. There's no condemnation. We sang earlier today the song we said, you won't relent until you have it all. God, my heart is yours. That's what we desire for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you're a relentless God. 
that your love for us looks beyond our sin, that you come, you shed your blood to cover that sin, to give us an opportunity to be strengthened by your spirit, that we can walk out your word. That, Lord God, when you come, that we can see and pursue what you call us to. In your strength, not ours. Father God, whatever it might be in this room, those who are struggling with some areas of sin, man, there may be some real life changes that they have to make to be able to target your word again. Give them strength to do that. Let them be passionate about doing that. Father God, provide provisions for that, whatever that might look like. Let us be people as relentless as you. You pursue us, let us pursue you. Equally relentless, Lord, I pray. Let our hearts be yours. We repent of those shortcomings, those sins. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. If you would, please say amen. 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 Give God praise. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.